When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, and welcome back to When in Romance, where we get to talk about all things romance, including novels and people who write them and people who adapt them. Uh, (laughs) I'm Jess. And I'm Trisha. And we are recording on Thursday, July 21st, 2022. I am very hot. Yeah, I was a little concerned. I didn't want to ask because I was pretty sure you had to turn your AC off to do this recording. But yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, it's it's a little warm here today. It hit like 80. So I can't really not, given what's going on elsewhere in the country and in the world. Yes. Definitely not going to complain. Yeah. And there's random, you know, heat advisories in places that where it's, it's like not too hot for Arizona, but it's definitely really hot for them, especially places yeah. where they don't have like AC in normal places. I think you were talking about that at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like that's the thing in the Northwest, you know, places don't have AC. They were talking about that in um, Europe is going through a major heat wave too. So everybody uh, keep an eye on your neighbors, go to cooling centers as needed, mm-hmm. take care of yourselves. Yep. And I will appreciate when we wrap up and I can turn mine on again. Although I am sure that the new resident in my house is appreciating the warmth. <laughs> yes, I can only imagine. Yeah, so maybe uh, maybe we'll talk especially fast today so that Jess can get our AC back on. <laughs> uh, speaking of talking fast, we are, as we were last week, hiring an editorial operations associate. You can come work with Book Riot if you love getting into the nitty gritty of the behind the scenes work. They are looking for someone on the team to help keep the metaphorical content trains running smoothly. You'd be working with the EdOps team to support editorial and the Book Riot writers. And as always, Book Riot is committed to building an inclusive workforce and strongly encourage applications from women, individuals with disabilities, and people of color. You can apply before August 8th, or probably on August 8th, <laughs> of this year. And there is a link, I think, in the show notes. Jess has to do them this week, so <laughs> I don't want to overpromise. There will be a link in the show notes, I promise. <laughs> And maybe if Jess is feeling generous, you will also put in a link to Book Riot's best books of 2022 so far. Uh, Jess and I both got to write uh, and blurb some books that we really love for that. And I think the romance collection this this particular year, mm-hmm. half year, is really good. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're a good amount. And there was even one that I hadn't heard of and had to go add it to my TBR immediately. <laughs> and... For you to be saying that just is something. That is quite, that is a feat. So yeah, I might not read a whole lot of them, but I do add But them. you've heard. Yes. Yeah, you're yes. familiar. I am familiar. And Jess, one of our favorite events is back. Yes. If you listened before everything shut down across the world. The before times. Mid-Continent Public Library used to hold a romance genre con, and they are holding their first one since the pandemic started, August 4th through 6th. Um, it's, I haven't been, but I hear a lot of great things about it. And they are one of the only libraries I know in the country who do this kind of thing, like a multi-day romance-focused conference featuring workshops and panels and all of that. Um, so you can go to their website to check that out. Um, and I will also include that in the show notes so that you can, you can check it out. You're so good to these people. <laughs> Some of our favorite folks are on there. Um, Vanessa Riley, Kat Sebastian, Lisa Rain, Tessa Dare. Looks like maybe they're doing a historic yeah. romance tilt this year, yeah. which is cool. So if you're going or if you do go, let us know how it is because it looks pretty rad, honestly. Absolutely. And for those of you who are like mid-continent, could be anything. It's in Kansas City. So if you live in Kansas City or in the states of Kansas or Missouri or even Arkansas, it shouldn't be too much of a trip. And if you just want to 
take a trip somewhere, that's a really good reason to go to Kansas City. (laughs) And I'll say this. I bet that in addition to barbecue, that city has air conditioning. Yes. So, you know, something to think about. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of books, <laughs> as we are want to do on this podcast, um, Jess, what are you reading this week? I just started reading Redeemed by Maggie Blackbird. And um, I came across, I feel like I've seen the covers of her books before. And like we were just talking about a few minutes ago, I had heard of her books, but hadn't like, they sort of drifted away. And I saw that someone was reading Um, One of them, her most recent one on, probably on Goodreads. And I was like, oh, I should look into that. So I started reading Redeemed, which is about a woman who is basically raising her ex-fiance's son because he was incarcerated and he has gotten out and wants to sort of rebuild his life, get her back, get his kid back. But she is like, I know. So that's where we are right now um, in the book. And um, for those of you who might be unfamiliar with Maggie Blackbird as an author, she is a Canadian author. She writes about Indigenous people. She is Ojibwe herself, and I think most of her characters are. And she writes sort of across the sexuality spectrum. So... This particular one features a heterosexual couple, but she has written others as well. All right. I'm just going to mention this very briefly because I have talked about this book before, but I just earlier today got sent an um, advanced copy of Husband Material by Alexis Hall, mm. which for those of you who do not know and haven't read Boyfriend Material, um, it is a sort of fake relationship rom-com I would say there are certainly serious aspects of it as there are with all of Alexis Hall's books but it is one of the books in 2020 that made me laugh out loud or lol as the not kids say um (laughs) way back when and this is this is not super common in romance but this is a continuation of the same couple so the same couple um as was in boyfriend material is now in husband material as you can probably guess they are looking to get married. So I am, I have, within the next nine days, I have 13 hours of plane time. Uh, I have a feeling by the next time we talk, Jess, I will have read husband material and we can talk more about it at that time. Best of luck to you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Actually, I'm very excited about our first segment today, but before we jump into it, let's take a quick break. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Irena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. 
As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters, and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jess, I cannot take credit for this. This adaptation, as we sometimes do on Wood and Romance, we, we watched a film adaptation of what many of us would refer to as a romance, uh, an older one, I would say. <laughs> but it was your idea, so I feel like you should you should tell the good people. All right, so this is actually, Trisha in our notes really has it right, is a retelling. And I think we would call it an adaptation because it's a retelling. But most of the time when we talk about retellings, we think of books and adaptations, we think of film. But this was a film retelling up uh, anyway. I'm so glad I got that right. Quick side note. <laughs> anyway, patting myself on the back. Continue. I'm so happy for you. Bearing the lead, I am. And we are going to be talking about Fire Island. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so um, this, if you do not have Hulu, I think it's on Hulu. It is. Is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice um, featuring a group of gay and otherwise queer men who go to Fire Island, which is a real place. It's like a a gay resort island off of the East Coast somewhere. Um, <laughs> I think it's like a, I, I listened to an interview with the, the writer the other day, and I think it's like a small sliver of an island off of Long Island. Yeah, I, that's where I was going to go with, but I was like, but what if it's more like the vineyard? But no, it's it's off of Long Island. <laughs> Most of the people in the country don't know that. I'm one of them. Do not know the difference anyway. <laughs> and um, they go there every year. And they stay with an older lesbian woman who has bought a house on the island. And they just, they go there looking to party, to enjoy their vacation. And they all have various different goals for attending the, for going to the island. But they, this group goes all the, every year. And of course, they meet a different group of people who are in attendance probably for the first time or at least the first time they've met. And um, one of them is a gruff gentleman who doesn't seem to like people, but really likes tiny ice cream cones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you are familiar with Pride and Prejudice or any other version of Pride and Prejudice, any retelling, you know what happens <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I think that's true. I think it was one of the really interesting things. So first of all, I will say I had not watched this until um, I'd heard wonderful things, but I hadn't watched it until Jess recommended that we talk about it on the podcast. And I am so glad that she did because it slipped kind of, I, I knew it was out there, but you know how like in the age of streaming, something's really big for two weeks. And if you don't watch it in that two weeks, you forget about it mm. until, you know, nine months later when you wake up in the middle of the night and think, you know what? I never watched Fire Island. Or maybe that's just me. It doesn't matter. Oh, Point totally is, me. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. If you do not have Hulu, it is worth seeing if you can maybe get like a, uh, you know, $7 one month subscription or maybe a free trial or find a friend who's willing to share their password for a little while or whatever. Sorry, that might not be legal. <laughs> Only do the things I suggested that are illegal. Go to a friend's house and watch it. Make them watch it with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a better one. That's a better not illegal one. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. Uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting about it is that I think, and you are the resident PNP expert on this panel, Jess, but I think one of the sort of trademarks of Pride and Prejudice is the role of the Bennett sisters mm-hmm. and the friends. So um, the story focuses on Howie, who is sort of the Jane Bennett character and Noah who is more of the Lizzie Bennett character and how he's played by Bo and Yang Noah is played by Joel Kim Booster who also wrote the movie and they have three friends you can actually sort of like map to the other Bennett sisters you totally which I think can. is just like it's so so perfect. delightful yeah I well and this is I would say and again you are the expert I would say this is sort of more one of the more despite the fact that it happens 200 years later, and 
you know, on an island, uh, and it's, you know, queer men and all of those things. I would say that this is, I feel like one of the more true to the original retellings of PNP out there, like in terms of the story beats and like who falls where and which person kind of betrays whom and all of that. I don't know. I Maybe it's that I haven't seen that many of the retellings, but I felt like this one was actually pretty true to the source material. It really was. That was that was the thing that I like talked about immediately after finishing the movie. I don't know if it was with my husband, who I made watch, watch it with me, or with Twitter, because everything that I can't tell my husband because he's not there, I just tell Twitter. Sure. And occasionally Book Riot Slack. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so um and we appreciate it but yeah it's like as someone who has consumed a million different versions of pride and prejudice for the past 23 years oh my goodness gracious mm-hmm. um <laughs> nothing wrong with that lean in <laughs> um yeah it's it's so close it's very they like joel kim booster took that book and was like, what would happen if I told it as it would fit into a story today? Not trying to make things work, not just sort of making it inspired by like some retellings that we've read. Like there have been a lot of retellings in print form that are more inspired by whereas this is inspired by but it is legit a retelling like how we sick you gotta come stay with him Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's sit and argue about books like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that's 100 percent true and i will say particularly because on our last episode, we talked about enemies to lovers. It was really fun to watch Will, who is the the Darcy character and is played by Conrad Ricamora. It was so fun, especially, like I said, since we had just divin in, divin in, <laughs> dove in, dived in, <laughs> since we had just explored there this topic <laughs> uh, on our last episode, it was really fun to get a handle because he is a jerk, I will say, to keep us from getting our explicit uh, warning. (laughs) Uh, He is is not a good dude to be around. Like, he is not the kind of person you would invite to parties because it is just like, he's not great. And, which is very true to the Darcy character, and it's fun to figure out how, as a writer, Booster kind of does the the screenplay such that you come around, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think... It was very believable. It felt, despite the fact that the whole movie takes place over the course of a week. Right. And they even mentioned, like, time moves differently on Fire Island. <laughs> so, um, but it was really fun to, there is a, I don't want to give anything away, but there is a uh, dance competition scene <laughs> that I laughed at about as hard as I have laughed at anything um, featuring the Will character. <laughs> so it was, yeah, I thought that was well done. I, how did you feel about kind of the, um, Again, not to give anything away. So I guess if you, if you, this is like a, I'm going to give vague sort of hints here. So maybe, you know, forward yourself a couple of minutes if, if you really, really want to be completely unspoiled. But this, I feel like this movie definitely is a romance. It absolutely had an emotionally satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. It also felt to me more like an HFN as opposed to an HEA, even by more than just the virtue of the fact that it had only been a week and these people just met. Like, they actually had a pretty honest conversation about monogamy. Yeah, that, yeah, they were, I really liked that conversation because it felt very much like a contemporary conversation. Um, And I'm going to keep talking about, you know, the way that Joel Kim Booster really takes the essence of Pride and Prejudice and makes it modern. And yeah, it very much feels like an HFN, but a very satisfying HFN because the arc of the story is complete. And, you know, we can we can get the husband material version of the next arc, but we're very satisfied without it. Like, we don't need to know anything else. We watched this relationship develop and we can see that even if it's not, gonna last forever it's going somewhere beyond the island maybe something yeah something will happen after the island (laughs) yeah 
And I will say to you, I just like a quick sort of shout out to the actors. Everybody was, I thought, fantastic in this movie. But I was really taken aback. First of all, Margaret Cho mm. plays Aaron, the um, lesbian homeowner that hosts all of these young men. When And I, I refer to them as young men because she talks about how they are half her age. Uh, and Margaret Cho is fantastic. If anything, I felt like maybe she was a little underused in this, but she was so good. And I was also really, uh, Bowen Yang, who is fantastic, and he's, you, you may know him from Saturday Night Live. He's super, super talented. He played a slightly more subdued character. There's a lot of discussion about vulnerability in this movie, mm-hmm. and particularly around who is attractive and who is not and what that feels like. So this is, I mean, as much as this movie is definitely a rom-com, there are elements to it that are complete romp. There is, I thought, some, like, very interesting just emotional depth to it that I don't know if I would have known going in having just sort of seen the trailer, you know? Oh, totally. Absolutely. And I am so glad that Bo and Yang was in this movie because, like you said, he brought, like, a whole different level to everything happening (laughs) yeah and his character howie was like the perfect i really like thought that he kind of felt like a combination of both jane and charlotte um i won't like go too into academic (laughs) breakdown oh that's interesting yeah in my mind he was jane because of how close he and noah are but like i said you know the story better than i do i well, uh, I wasn't thinking that much about Charlotte. Like, he's totally Jane. Like, everything about it, like, everything about his his situation and his character and his relationship developing is Jane-like. But for some reason, he also felt like a Charlotte character. Yeah. Mostly because of the friendship that the two of them have and sort of some of Howie's very, like, um... Uh, what's the word? It's not logical, but um, practical kind of yeah. thoughts yeah. about like yes, he would he would love to be in love, but he's kind of you know accepted the fact that it's probably not going to happen for him because of very stupid uh, reasons. <laughs> um, I think stupid, but also super relatable. Super relatable. Right? Like you, yeah. You know, the, he's almost the character that is the kind of, like, stark reality of, like, everyone often... Everyone feels this way at some point in their life, some people more often than others, Mm. but, like, you just sort of think, like, this is... I do not fit into what this, you know, definition of attractive or sexy or whatever else is. And so if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to have to settle for, you know, less than what others other people would yeah yeah and i mean stupid as in like society stupid not oh yes absolutely not yeah just for anybody who's like what do you mean that's so terrible of you (laughs) how dare you no like hopping on twitter right now (laughs) the society is stupid for having for making how we feel that way i i would say too the things to maybe know about this movie going in is that it is definitely rated R. There's a, yeah. apparently they were told by Hulu, which is owned by, like, it was produced by Disney. I think Disney owns Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I listened to uh, an interview from NPR um, with Joel Kim Booster, and apparently they were told that they could show as many butts as they wanted, but no polls was, uh, as many butts as you wanted, but no polls was the was the terminology used in that NPR interview. So I feel like we can use it here, too, on When in Romance. Wow. Um, and so, but heads up, there are there are a lot of a lot of butts. There are a lot of butts, and uh, those butts are very often doing things. Just so you yes. know, um, mm-hmm. none of like I I think I can say like it's been a few days, so I don't remember. But I don't think any of the actual central characters are seen in those scenes with a lot of butts. There is one. Uh, there is an element of revenge porn. Yes. So, okay, that. Yeah. Um I was thinking about the uh, the group the the group situations. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Uh yes, I do not believe uh, yes. I you know what? I we'll just let people take it from there. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we've we've done the informing that we need to do to let people know. But yeah, so I think besides that, I I can't think of other kind of content warnings that I would offer to people um or just kind of like a Things you should maybe know going in. I mean, there I will say there is 
some racism, there is some homophobia, there are, like, those elements are in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, as a straight white person, probably don't get to say this. To me, it did not feel like an overwhelming presence, and this movie was written by a gay Asian man. So it's, you know, I think they worked to be very true to that experience without, you know... Causing pain. Like I said, I don't think it was upsetting, but you should know that that is probably a mine is not the most authentic experience to be able to say that. Yeah, I I would add on that it doesn't feel like anything was written to harm the viewer. Exactly. But I don't know, I feel like uh, two thumbs up for Fire Island as a very fun movie from me, two thumbs up for it as a retelling and as an adaptation, such that it is both of those things, kind of. I join in those thumbs. <laughs> I join in those thumbs. I feel like uh, show title work <laughs> may have been done for you just now, Jess. Uh, all right. We would love to know what all of you think of Fire Island. So please, please, please let us know. Let us know what you thought of it as a retelling and or adaptation. Let us know what your, what your, what thumbs you have involved in this situation. <laughs> and before we get to our next topic, which is also one that, uh, you, that you flagged, thank goodness for you, because I, my work has been a little chaotic lately, so I'm, I'm so grateful to you, Jess. Uh, before we get to Jess's second brilliant idea for this week, <laughs> uh, let's pause one more time. Today's episode is brought to you by The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by Katie Hoffman. The pressure cooker of minor league baseball leads to major chemistry in this exhilarating, sexy, and triumphant Rivals to Lovers debut romance. Gene Ionescu is the first openly trans player in professional baseball. He has nearly everything he's ever let himself dream of. That is, until Luis Estrada, Gene's former teammate and current rival, gets traded to the Beavers. Now, Gene and Louise can't manage a civil conversation off the field or a competent play on it, but in the close confines of dugout benches and roadie buses, they begrudgingly rediscover a comfortable rhythm. As the two grow closer, the tension between them turns electric and their chemistry spills past the confines of the stadium. So this is one of the first adult rom-coms published by a major publishing house centering a gay trans man by a gay trans man. It also has ADHD and anxiety representation and some joyful, heartfelt moments. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jess, would you be so kind once again as to share your wisdom and insight when it comes to a podcast agenda with the listeners? All right. So July is disability pride month in the united states it's also wrath um but that's a different thing sure um, there's a, a joke you know in june june is lgbt pride month and we say pride month is over now it's time for wrath but that's that's another that's another episode i think yeah July is Disability Pride Month in the United States, and it's in July to commemorate the passing of the landmark Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, which happened in July of 1990. People with disabilities have only been considered, you know, necessary and protected people since I've been alive. Um, Since a lot of us have been alive. 
Yeah, it's a great perspective to bring to this conversation. And, you know, there aren't a whole lot of people with prominent disabilities who are protagonists in romance novels. So I, it felt like, you know, during July might be a good month to talk about people with disabilities, disabled people. People prefer either or. Um, I am probably going to say someone is disabled or has a certain ailment as we're talking. But um, so, you know, we wanted to talk about um, some of the books that we've seen that have protagonists who are disabled in various ways. Some of them might be physical disabilities. Some people might use mobility aids. Some people might have sensory disabilities. Some people might be neurodivergent of various types. Some people might have chronic illnesses or be or have mental health health issues. You know, there's there's a lot under the umbrella of disability. So we're not going to talk about all of them today because for one, we don't have enough time and also sure. There aren't a whole lot of books that cover all of those categories. So some of them we've talked about before and I'm going to try not to talk about anything that I've talked about in the last like 2 months. Um, but there might be some books that you've heard us talk about before, but we want to make sure you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think too, it's you made a good point, Jesper. People prefer different terminology. Mm-hmm. There are people who I one of the books that I'm going to talk about talks about neurodivergence. That is not necessarily something that everyone who has who is on kind of a dealing with a neurodivergency would consider a disability, but some people do. Um, one of the books that I considered talking about is about someone who is dealing with depression, which again, I have a friend who is very conflicted about whether or not they can kind of claim depression as a disability. It's I, I think all of that is to say everyone gets to identify however they want and to interpret who they are as a human being in whatever they they want. And so if if we misstep at all or or talk differently about anyone's experience or identity, it certainly is not with any uh, intended malice. And I would love to learn more if, if there are, are folks who have resources or information. I, I did poke around a little bit to see if there was a kind of disability pride month, like owner or... I mean, owner is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like a sponsor, like somebody who um, had like a, a sort of depth of resources or, or information. And I couldn't find anything um, aside from a Wikipedia article and a few different news articles or corporations that acknowledge the month and, and folks who are there who have disabilities. So if, if anybody has anything like that, please don't hesitate to let us know. But I do think that because disability can take so many forms and look so different for different people the most we can do is just let people kind of identify who they are for themselves. Yes, absolutely. All right. I, uh, I'm i curious, what where would you start with this conversation? So I am going to start with a book that I have talked about before, but not since, I don't know, 2020. I don't remember when I talked about it, but <laughs> it's been a while. And bonus, it's by an author who... I used to have to mention like every episode, but I haven't talked about in a while because she hasn't. It has been a minute. She hasn't been writing as many romances. Um, I, actually, I don't remember the last one she published, but that's oh, that was a uh, that was the Anastasia story. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. But and that is "Can't Escape Love" by Alyssa Cole, and it is the first book I can recall seeing that had not just a black woman in a wheelchair on the cover, but a person in a wheelchair on the cover. And it is it is a novella. It's in the middle of her Reluctant Royal series. So there are some elements of the story that might not be completely clear. If you haven't read that series, you should read that series. Um, <laughs> Decidedly true. But it... It stands alone if you just, like, don't care about a specific line of information that the main character has. But anyway, so Can't Escape Love, like I said, it's a novella. And the main character is Reggie. And she 
She uses a wheelchair. She comes from a pretty wealthy family, so she can, she can afford to have like her whole house set up for wheelchair use. And she has nice wheelchairs because she can afford to like not have to be stuck in a traveling wheelchair all the time. And um, so she is, she is not the ailing disabled human that we see so much in media. Um, But Reggie has a problem. She has trouble sleeping. So she starts listening or watching Gus's live broadcasts of him just like doing puzzles and building stuff. And sure. And she um she reaches out to him and is like, Can you like record some of that for me? It helps me sleep. And he's like, No, but I'll call you. So that's <laughs> how their relationship starts. And then they they realize that they have a lot more in common and learn more about each other. And like I said, some stuff in the Reluctant Royals universe happens. And it's just, it's a great novel. It's, you know, short enough to read. And it's produced some content that is actually going to be a future project for Alyssa Cole. So keep an eye out for that when you're reading. And it's just, it's really delightful. And I love both of those people. And i want more of them actually i would read a whole series of books about the adventures of reggie and gus oh man <laughs> and also that's a perfect name for it the adventures of reggie and gus yeah Alyssa cole if you're listening that's an idea you know it's interesting i i will actually start at this isn't necessarily where i was going to start but because this is also a book where it's a fantastic book you could absolutely enjoy it without having read the rest of the series but also i would recommend reading the rest of the series is a book called Kiss Hard, which I talked about a little bit earlier this year because it just came out within the last few months. Um, I want to say maybe like three months ago, maybe late April, early May. Mm-hmm. And it is about Katie and Danny, who Danny is, Sarah is a, is a rugby player. This whole series, this is book four, so it's the last of the four brothers in this family, um, which not all of them focus on rugby, but three of the four brothers were rugby players. You do not have to know anything about rugby to read them. Promise you, because I do not. <laughs> and I still enjoy these very much. Um, and it's it's great because you part of the reason I would recommend reading the other books, although again, you could you could read this one as a standalone, is that the relationship between these two develops and it's very much an enemies to lovers situation over the course of a decade plus. Oh man. Um, but Katie is a, so Danny is a rugby player. Katie is a Paralympic athlete and um, she had, she's a double amputee. She uses prosthetics for running. And I think they, they did a really nice job in this book of not centering you know, the fact that she uses prosthetics or that she, her legs are are not as long as some people's, but also recognizing and acknowledging the role that it plays in her life, you know, like that she feels a little bit vulnerable in a way um, when she does not have a prosthetic on her leg and she is in bed with someone or, you know, like it's, there's, there's a, it certainly does not ignore that aspect of her life and also kind of celebrates the fact that like this woman is a Paralympian and she's a total badass. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's a, I, by way of content warning, there is, this book does start with someone is drugged in a bar. They recognize that it has happened fairly quickly and that person has to go to the hospital. That is sort of where the fake relationship that these two embark upon comes from. You can read about it. It's, you know, it makes sense in context. <laughs> uh, and then as they are, uh, pretending to be in a fake relationship, they uh, unsurprisingly start to acknowledge that maybe they weren't actually enemies all along. Uh. So again, that's Kiss Hard by Nalini Singh. And I do think it does a good job of kind of balancing, recognizing what a disability can mean in someone's life, but that that is just one aspect of someone's life. Well, one author that I've been hearing about for a million years, a million years being like two or three. Sure. But she's written a significant amount of books in that time is Chloe Lisa. And she has been writing. I'm not sure if she's done a series about a group of siblings, a bunch of brothers and a few sisters and maybe a cousin or two. I don't remember. 
and the the Bergman brothers and each of their each of the books includes someone who has a physical or sensory um, disability, a mental health issue, neurodiversity, or a chronic illness. Um, so only when it's us is the first one, and in it we meet Willa, who is a soccer player. She's she's really ambitious, but you know she falls behind occasionally because of her soccer career. On co- in college, she, this is a, a campus book, and um, she's in class, and she has a pretty good relationship with her professor, but her professor is kind of getting fed up with her needing to like get notes all the time. But she, her professor's like, you can get notes from Ryder, who is sitting right next to her, and she's like, okay, but Ryder appears to be ignoring her completely in class, after class, and he doesn't understand why she's giving him this horrible look when class is over. But to her, it seems like Ryder is just like ignoring her. And it turns out Ryder is deaf or hard of hearing. I don't think he's completely deaf, but he is significantly hard of hearing. And of course, did not hear the whole part and was not looking up when the professor said, that he would be giving her notes. Um, so thus starts a contentious relationship that is contentious on one side and very confused on the other, but they keep running sure. into each other <laughs> and eventually sort of become not quite friends. Um, friends who snark kind of oh, yeah. kind of thing. And once she realizes that he's deaf, you know, things are a little clearer and they have like a a different kind of relationship um, that includes lots of really fun texting. Um, and I, I mean, fun, like fun texting, not like innuendo fun texting, although maybe sure. maybe some of that too. Um, but um, like I said, it's the first in a series and there are people in college and people out of college. There are professional athletes. There are people with like IBS and anxiety and, um, who need mobility aids and all kinds of things. So if you're looking for someone who is writing about a lot of people who just live their daily lives coping with disabilities of various kinds, Chloe Lisa is um, a good person to try. As is Evie Mitchell, <laughs> may also be Abby, I apologize if I got your name wrong, who has written a She's about halfway through a series called the All Access series. The first book in the series was called Not My Type. If I've talked about this book on the podcast before, it's been a a couple of years anyway. Um, And it is about Frankie, who is a sexologist who uses a wheelchair. And she has a podcast about different, you know, ways to access things, different kind of, well, it's called All Access for a reason, right? (laughs) But it's also about how to navigate the use of a mobility aid, aid or having a disability in terms of your sex life, frankly. And she gets a question from a listener who is asking about bondage and how to make rope play accessible. And she needs to, uh, you know, ask that of someone else. She needs an expert. And she happens to find Jay, who is uh, an old friend. I think she's he's like the brother of a different friend that she has or the friend of a brother, or that kind of thing. It's, that kind of relationship where they have operated in the same world, but have not uh, necessarily, you know, engaged in any sort of uh, accessibility (laughs) antics, one might say. And Jay's a carpenter. He's also uh, teaches classes on safe, uh, accessible sex and how to, you know, do various kink related activities in a, in a safe and accessible way. And this is, again, it's, the author is uh, has Crohn's disease, and the second book actually in the series features a protagonist with Crohn's. I haven't read that one yet. This was actually a good reminder to me that I meant to, and it wasn't out yet when I read this one. Uh, so I'll have to go back to that. But it is a very, again, it's sort of like a an honest depiction of, you know, there's a moment where Frankie navigates into the car um, from her wheelchair and 
Jay comments on like how impressive it is. And she's like, is it? Because all I did was get in a car. And he was like, yeah, was that ableist? She was like, yeah, kind of was. He was like, okay, I'll work on that. I got it. Or she talks to him about how important it is that before they engage in any sexual activity, he washes his hands. Because if she is trying to deal with an infection, you know, that is a much more complicated scenario for her, given her um, her body. Mm-hmm. So like you were talking about, Jess, it's, it's definitely a book that is very open and frank about a lot of the issues around disability stigma and how to address them. And um, it's also just like delightful and fun. It is, there is an insta-love element to it. It is self-published, so it may not benefit from the same kind of editing as some of the traditionally published books that we talk about on this podcast. But I thought it was really lovely. And actually, again, I was just reminded that I need to read the next book. So the first one is Not My Type by Abby Mitchell. That explains also why I had the second book, like, superstarred. Like, I haven't read Not sure. My Type yet, but, like, I was like, I really need to read the second one because Crohn's is, is the thing that's closest to me. My mother has it, so I grew, oh, up, yeah. I grew up around Crohn's. Like, that was the first, like, <laughs> physical mm-hmm. ailment that I ever knew about. Um, yeah. So thank you for that reminder for me to read that one as well. One thing that is probably slightly more prevalent in romance novels and in the world is hidden illnesses, hidden disabilities. And um, one book that really discusses that really well is Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. And I think I talked about it last year when I started reading it, but I actually finished reading it this year. Um, so, <laughs> and, you know, the I'm primarily talking about the female main character, whose name? Eve. Um, yes, who deals with chronic migraines but also like I don't like like you were talking about Trisha some people put things into the disability or chronic illness category that others don't like substance abuse and addiction which the male main character in seven days is June is recovering from so like there's a whole separate category with that like um the book, yeah. the book that I, I was talking about at the top of the show, um, Redeemed, also deals with that because the guy in that is also dealing with being a recovering alcoholic. Um, so I don't know if that is really falls under the disability umbrella, but it could be considered as much of a hidden disability as the migraines that the main character in Seven Days in June deals with, as does Tia Williams. Tia Williams is writing from experience, talking about dealing with migraines and doing everything that she can to counteract them so that she can get through her day with them. And the interesting about Seven Days in June is that it's about two writers. One writes an erotic series that is romantic, I don't think it's romance because it's been a really long series about the same couple. It's more like urban fantasy. Oh, okay. Erotic urban fantasy. And the other is a sort of urban literary fiction writer. (laughs) So they they had a very explosive, very brief relationship as kids, like in, in, in their late teens, and apparently never recovered because when they meet each other again, everything comes to the forefront and everything is once again explosive. But we also get to see how their own issues stop them from having a healthy relationship in the past and could stop them from having a healthy relationship in the present. So I think we talked about this when we were talking about hard topics in in an episode before. Yeah. But it really, like, really hits home. Like, you were in people's heads, and you were especially in her head when she's dealing with migraines and, like, can't, can't leave. You you can't just leave if Mm -hmm. you have a migraine. Nobody knows. You're just sitting there trying to slowly, like, hide from the light and not throw up. So I think it's really important to talk about 
those disabilities that and chronic illnesses that a lot of us go through on the daily that nobody really knows about. We're just sort of being miserable in silence um, because that's the only way to make it through the day. So that's seven days in June, everyone. <laughs> well, it's a good reminder too, right? That as we've talked about, happy endings are for everyone, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of how your brain or body functions, mm-hmm. like you are still deserving of uh, happy endings. And I will I will just talk very, very briefly about this last book because we're running a little long and uh, Jess has no air conditioning. So um, <laughs> since I mentioned before that I was going to talk about a book uh, that features neurodivergence or a neuro- neurodivergent character, I will mention The Bride Test by Helen Wong, um, which came out, gosh, 2019, I think. It's another book that it is very possible you've heard of this book. It's very possible you've read this book, mm-hmm. but we haven't talked about it in a while. And I think, you know, there are people coming new to the genre every day and you might forget if you didn't know or you may never knew how, what a big deal it was when Helen Huang started writing books as a person who is on the autism spectrum, writing characters about uh, characters who are on that same spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so Kai in this book is, he, that is his situation. He is kind of processes the world and emotions differently because he's on the spectrum. And he gets sort of set up by his mom with this woman, Esme, who is kind of brought to the US to partner with him and be his wife. Mm-hmm. Which, if it sounds to you like that is a little bit maybe terrible or at least uncomfortable, most of the people in the book also think that. So <laughs> to be fair. Um, and, you know, she is uh, an immigrant. He is, again, kind of dealing with the neurodivergence. And it's two people who like, the, these are very important parts of their lives. And so they just interact a little bit differently mm-hmm. than um, some other characters and some other books might. And again, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's possible that many of you have read it or, or heard of it. But if you haven't, I would definitely recommend seeking out uh, The Bride Test. Uh, the Kiss Quotient is the first book in the series, also fantastic. But this one, I think, could be read much more easily as a standalone than something like Kiss Hard that mm-hmm. I talked about. So, and again, I, you know, I don't know that everyone who is neurodivergent would consider themselves to have a disability, but it is important, I think, to recognize all different kinds of of ways that the brain and the body work. So that's The Bride Test by Helen Wong. Awesome. All right, we got to wrap it up. We got to get you, uh, we got to get you some paper, or we got to get you some, some air conditioning. <laughs> so thanks, as always, to our fantastic audio editor, Jen Zink. You can find us on email and social media, as always, you can find us on email at whenandromance at bookriot.com. I, I'm still frustrated with Instagram, but that's probably the best place to reach me, at Trisha Haley Brown. And you can get me on all of the socials, on Twitter at Jess is Reading, all one word, on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading, and on the clock app at Jess underscore is reading. And if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing the podcast, it will help other people find it and make it even more worthwhile for just to go without air conditioning for a certain <laughs> period of time. Uh, but I think that's all that we've got this week, huh, Jess? Absolutely. And um, if you haven't watched Fire Island, watch it. I'd love to yes. hear what you think. If you yes. have thoughts about various representations of disability in romance or elsewhere, I don't know, um, drop us a line. And until next time, happy reading, everyone. Mm-hmm.